Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie PA. This is Kathy. I'm your host for today's episode. And I'd like to thank those who have been listening. Today is episode 32, believe it or not. For those that this is their first time listening, I'm going to recap. However, you might want to go back to episode 31 and listen to that one first. For those that have listened to episode 31, here goes for the recap. I'm going to finish up this case about who who killed Marilyn Shepard. Last week, I talked about the first part where how Marilyn and Sam met. Sam finished school. They got married, had a son named Reese. They decided to move back to Ohio, and Sam became part of the family practice. Both Sam and Marilyn were part of the social circle in the neighborhood in Ohio where they expected their second child when Marilyn was murdered. And Sam fought the attacker, and he himself was knocked unconscious. Twice. But did they believe Sam? That's what I will talk about on this episode. Some things that haven't changed from 1954 to today is that if there's a juicy story that can sell papers or in today's society, it can get some downloads. And the Shepard case certainly was the case that was one that caught the national attention, You have a beautiful pregnant wife murdered in her bed and a handsome husband who is a doctor who makes really good money and who they find out who was having an affair, which wasn't unheard of, but was a scandal nonetheless. And there were headlines from the get-go that read, Why isn't Sam Shepard in jail? At the time, there was no other suspect. Sam swore there was a bushy-haired man that he fought within the bedroom and then again on the beach. But there wasn't any evidence to back up his claim. So Sam hired attorney William J. Corrigan Sr. and they headed to trial. The investigators brought Sam's affair with a nurse, Susan Hayes, as a motive for the murder. The coroner, Sam Gerber, said the weapon that killed Marilyn had to have been a surgical instrument. And Sam Shepard was a surgeon at the time of Marilyn's murder. While doing research on this case, there was a ton of evidence that was used during the trial. Now I'll upload it to the Facebook page, All Things Erie from Erie, PA. In it is the detailed description of what the patrolman saw when he entered the house on the night of the murder. These are things that you normally would not see unless you had some kind of connection to the case. And even then, if the case was still active. I doubt they would allow it, allow it to go to the public. Now, going back to how the press treated this case, on July 21, 1954, the Cleveland Press and its editor, Louis Seltzer, felt that the Shepard family was trying to shield Sam from the authorities and ran an editorial that was titled, Do It Now, Dr. Gerber, which, was, which it was calling for them to do an inquest. And hours later, the coroner in, in it mentioned Dr. Sam Gerber announced that he would hold an inquest the next day. Whether Dr. Gerber already had the inquest already planned and just announced it to get it out in the open, or Dr. Gerber allowing the papers to bully him into which way he wanted to go. But then on July 30th, 1954, there was one titled, Quit Stalling and Bring Him In, and Shepard was arrested for interrogation by the police which leaves you no doubt that Dr. Gerber was allowing the papers either bully or influence him on how he should be handling this case. This then leads to the prosecution that was by John Mahone. 
The local papers then acted no better than what you would consider what tabloids do now with celebrities and gossips today. During my research, I found that the local papers in 1954 were writing stories that had no supporting facts or were later disproved. Sound familiar? There was a popular radio show broadcast about a New York City woman who claimed to have been Shepard's mistress and the mother of an illegitimate child. Talk about wishing for DNA testing. Not only that, during the trial, the jury wasn't sequestered, nor were they even instructed to read or watch any of nor were they even instructed to not read or watch any of the news, to not watch any of the news. Yep, I'm having that kind of day again today. The defense was even denied a change of venue, which with all of this going on with the newspapers, it had to have been hard for them not to hear about it from someone. Also, two jurors even admitted to the judge that they heard the broadcast about the mistress. But do you think the judge dismissed them? Nope. Now about this time, you have to be asking yourself, either this guy really did do it or he's the unluckiest SOB on the face of the earth. Once the testimony was over and the jury went back to make their decision, what do you think it was? Do you think they saw through the media circus and looked at the evidence at hand? Remember, this is pre-law and order. Just give me the facts, ma'am. And what were the facts at this point? On the prosecution side, John Mahone, at or around somewhere between 3.30 and 4 o'clock on the morning of July 4th, 1954, an intruder, quote-unquote, broke in and bludgeoned Marilyn Shepard to death. Point two, Sam Shepard was having a three-year affair with a nurse named Susan Hayes from Bayview Hospital. Point three, the murder weapon was never found. Point four, why was there no sand in Sam's hair when he claimed to have been sprawled out at the beach? Point five, Sam's missing t-shirt. The prosecutor spe speculated that it would or should contain some of, of Shepard's blood if there had been a struggle with the perp. Point six, supposedly Sam Shepard was knocked unconscious twice by a bushy-haired man. Point seven, the prosecution's case relied heavily on the fact that Shepard's motive was because of the affair. And point eight, the fact that Sam could not give an accurate description of the intruder. Okay, the prosecutor only speculated that Shepard, if Shepard has staged the crime. But the defense argued... Their points of point one being Sam had severe injuries that were inflicted by the intruder. These were on a report made by doc Dr. Charles Elkins, MD. Sam Shepard suffered from, from a cervical concussion, a nerve injury, many absent or weak reflexes, mostly on the left side of his body. He was hit from behind, which would have made the attacker right-handed and the injury in the region of or could have been right-handed i should i should say that usually when someone strikes somebody they strike from the opposite side an injury in the region of the second cervical vertebrae in the back of the neck dr elkins stated that it was impossible to fake or simulate the missing reflex responses point two for the defense, the crime scene was extremely bloody, but the only blood evidence appearing on Shepard was a blood stain on his trousers. Point three. Also, two of Marilyn's teeth had been broken, 
and that the pieces had been pulled from her mouth. And there are actually pictures of this. There's pictures on the body during the autopsy. There's pictures of the teeth that were extracted. And there's pictures of an autopsy when Marilyn's body was exhumed. And again, those pictures will be uploaded when I do this later on, and it'll be on the Facebook page. Some will be even on Twitter. Some will even be on Instagram. So that way you can see these. The teeth that had been pulled from her mouth, this suggested that she bit her attacker. And this is saying that her missing teeth are consistent with a severe beating that Marilyn received to her face and head. And Sam Shepard had no open wounds. There's even a picture of Marilyn's hand. She herself have she she herself had uh, wounds on her own hands. And anytime anybody's in a fight or if you've punched anything, you have swelling or cuts or abrasions on your hands. And they're saying that Sam Shepard had nothing on his hands. I saw the autopsy pictures of Marilyn Shepard. She took a beating, a complete beating. So he would have had massive cuts and abrasions. Yes, there was a weapon used, but there is no way that if she took a punch to the face or if she bit somebody that there would have been, he would have gotten away with it or she would have gotten away with it without a mark on their hands. Marilyn fought back and she fought back hard. The last point in the defense was that the defense themselves called 18 character witnesses for Shepard. And two of them said that they had seen a bushy haired man near the Shepard home on the day of the murder. Now the lack of a murder weapon posed a problem for the prosecution. However, Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County Coroner Samuel R. Gerber almost got around it by testifying that a blood imprint on the pillow beneath Marilyn's head was made by a two-blade surgical instrument with teeth at the end of each blade, such as a scalpel. Now, I want you to remember that a two-blade surgical instrument with teeth at the end of each blade. Now, this was such a vague explanation that Shepard's lawyer left this unchallenged. Also, Shepard's attorney was denied access to the physical evidence by the judge, so he could not argue any point to the blood droplets. Murder weapon marks, blood splatter, or physical marks on the body. And the facts to the jury, according to everyone else, was that Sam Shepard was guilty of second-degree murder on December 21st, 1954, and he was sentenced to life in prison. This sounded way too shady to me. A judge that wouldn't allow a defense attorney to see evidence? This seems so against Sam Shepard's rights. I myself, who has a paralegal background, started to do a little digging around. Remember I said paralegal, not attorney. I found the information of the duty to keep the client informed and compliance with discoveries, so I kept digging. And I found what I was looking for, types of discovery. This is where it can get tricky, and folks, if you found find every find yourself being brought up on murder charges, make sure that you are telling your lawyer everything. And when I mean everything, I mean any detail that you can think of, of either write it down in their office and give it to them, or just make sure that the time to see them 
And do not think for one moment that someone isn't going to roll over on you. Remember, the first two talks gets the deal. It used to be the first two talks walks. Not so much anymore. But back to the discovery. Back when Sam Shepard had his first trial, the courts had said that the U.S. Constitution didn't impose a general duty on the prosecution to disclose certain material to the defense that would be relevant to the defense's case. Relevant meaning that it could change the outcome of a case. But there was exculpatory evidence exculpatory evidence, which the Constitution did require the prosecution to disclose. But all this evidence generally meant was that it could contradict the the defendant's supposed guilt or support lesser punishment. It really didn't help in either way an alibi did for a case. But this all stemmed from Brady v. Maryland. It was a U.S. Supreme Court case in 1963 that said It's a violation of due process for the prosecution to suppress evidence that the defense has requested, and that is material either to guilt or punishment and favorable to the accused. Now, just to sidestep a little bit, in this particular case, Brady and another man named Bob Litt had been convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. At his trial, the man named Brady had testified that, yes, He had participated in a crime, but did not kill the victim. Before the trial, his lawyer had requested that they be given access to Bob Litt's out-of-court statements. Although the defense saw several, the prosecution withheld one, in which Bob Litt admitted carrying out the killing. The court held that the prosecution's actions, even though it had to do with the punishment rather than the guilt, denied Brady the due process of that guarantees by the 14th Amendment. Hence, Brady v. Maryland. So what it's called, if this had indeed been in effect during Sam Shepard's first trial, his attorney would definitely would have been able to have seen all the evidence available. But then that makes you want to look at all the evidence. Why would the judge or the prosecution wouldn't want the defense to look or have the evidence tested? Was there something that they already knew or did they just want to close the case because of the media circus? Either way, at this point, Sam Shepard was going to prison and for life. Ten years later, and a new attorney by the family was hired. His name is F. Lee Bailey. I love the names back in this time because somebody's using their initial, the initial from their first name or their initial from their middle name. Now, F. Lee Bailey had charges brought against the judge, Judge Blythe. He he was charged with improper conduct in federal court and Bailey won. He won Shepard's release, and the decision, but the decision was overturned on appeal, and they went to the Supreme Court. Now, remember, I said that Brady's case was 1963. By the time Bailey got Shepard released and they won their case, it was overturned on an appeal, and by this time, it's 1966, and they're back in court, and it's Supreme Court. 
This case is an absolute nightmare for Shepard, but an attorney's dream case. There back in court, it's 1966, and the court supported the original ruling. They cited Blythe's failure to protect Shepard from the prejudicial publicity that was surrounding the country at the time. The state of Ohio, which had an option to retry Shepard, did so in October of 1966. The charge would have been second-degree murder. F. Lee Bailey relooked at evidence that was used in the first trial, which appeared to clear the cl his client of all charges. But it was the new evidence that shocked everyone. The first one of the pieces that F. Lee Bailey used was how many blows Marilyn Shepard had re received. She had received 35 blows which was mainly to the head area with an unknown instruments, an instrument. The second part was none of these blows were individually fatal. And Bailey argued that the real reason the killer had struck Marilyn so many times was because he was a weak person. Now they use the pronoun he and pointed out that Sam Shepard was a strong man. And if he had intended on killing Marilyn, it would have only taken two to three blows from Sam to end Marilyn's life. Bailey's hypothesis, it may have been a woman. Then the big bombshell. In the courtroom, when a witness testified that Marilyn had given a house key to her friend, the mayor, Spencer Hook. Apparently, Marilyn told Spencer, who was their next door neighbor, not to tell Sam. Bailey then suggested that Marilyn was having an affair with the mayor. The mayor's wife then found out, killed Marilyn. Boom, mic drop. Did many believe it? Did it matter? No, because Bailey just then created reasonable doubt. The jury found Sam Shepard not guilty. Now this is when it gets even more interesting because we're gonna start diving into some of the evidence and look at another suspect. We talked about the dog not barking and we gave three examples why. And that was in the last podcast. The second one is the police said there weren't any signs of forced entry, making the theory of an intruder implausible. But was there? And they just didn't catch it. Although the Aherns said they didn't remember if Marilyn locked the door. But what about the basement? Did anyone even look down there or take pictures? The third one, the t-shirt that Sam had been wearing the night of the murder. When asked about it, Sam said, maybe the man I saw needed one. I don't know. Now Sam was under duress and in shock. The last thing he was thinking about was where his shirt was. A torn t-shirt was eventually found a few yards from the Shepherd property line, and it didn't have any blood on it. Fourth one, we spoke about the phone calls. The first one at 5.40 a.m., and Sam's watch stopped at 4.15. Why the delay in reporting? Could have been that he was lying unconscious on the beach after his last fight with the intruder. Although folks also believe that it also gave him time to clean up blood and any fingerprints to make the home look like it had been burglarized. They talk about some comments 
that were made by Sam on the morning of the murder and could be considered odd, but also knowing what we do now about psychology and by no means am I a psychology major, doctor, or anything like that. This one, Sam is speaking about Marilyn in the present tense. Someone should do something for Marilyn, even though he had to have known that she was dead. He had made the statement that he had checked her pulse and she was gone, and that he he would add details to his story with his first few retellings. Well, okay, but did he stick with that particular one then? Because again, shock and duress. The next point, there were steps to make the murder look like a burglary. There were drawers pulled open, but not thrown on the floor. They were just open. Nothing missing, and Sam's doctor bag was overturned, but nothing missing. Wait, didn't Sam, Dr. Sam Gerber's testimony state that the murder weapon was a surgical tool and just had to be because Sam was Shepard was a surgeon? Moving on to the next point, Marilyn's top was pulled up, exposing her breast and her pajama bottom pulled down, exposing pubic hair, but no signs of forcible rape. On to the next one, 27. In the first trial, that's how many times they said Marilyn was hit. But in the second trial, it was more than that. Would a burglar do that or someone that is taking this personal, which would suggest what? Overkill. Why? This would be considered a crime of passion. And who would kill somebody in a crime of passion? It would be a husband. It would be a lover. The last point, there was blood splatter on the walls of the bedroom, which suggests that Marilyn's blood was flying around in all different directions when she was killed. If Sam was the killer, wouldn't her blood have been on numerous places on Sam's pants? Sam's pants only had one significant stain. There was no other blood found on his pants, shoes, socks, or belt, which we all know is very hard to get off, to wash off, I should say. And after 10 years in prison, Sam Shepard was now a free man, but he still had problems. Life inside prison had taken its toll on his health. He also had remarried at this point. He and his family had tried to to make a go at it, but it didn't work. And in 1970, at the age of 46, Sam died from liver failure because he was an alcoholic. Though Sam had been exonerated, people still thought that Sam was guilty of killing his wife. And definitely, and it definitely didn't help when Sam had been on a book signing for, his, for the book named Endure and Conquer. And this was for Phyllis Moretti, a beauty salon owner. And under the heading, Did Sam Do It?, on the teaser page, it scrawled a big yes. A handwriting expert concluded that the yes was Sam's. This seems to be a bold admission to anyone, let alone to a good friend. And then it's very suspicious that Moretti considered writing her own book on the Shepherd case. Sam Shepard's case and the, the murder of Marilyn Shepard has been memorialized in television and in the movies, The Fugitive, which is loosely based on this murder. In 1995, Sam Reese Shepard, Chip, along with Cynthia L. Cooper, wrote a book called Mockery of Justice, the true story of the Shepard murder case. And in this book, Chip names the window washer, Richard Erbling, as the prime suspect in the death of, the mo- of his mother. Now, in everything that I spoke about, 
in the first trial and that second trial, I never mentioned him. This is where this comes in. In 1989, Erbling was convicted of murdering an elderly woman in 1984 and had been sent to prison. And through the years, he had been granted several interviews from the prison. And in October of 1997, the Learning Channel broadcasted an interview in which Erbling had been questioned about Marilyn's murder. And this is what he said. It's very distasteful subject and I would like to move on. It's not true, never was, and I had no intention. I've never killed anybody. That's not my nature. To give you a bit of background on Mr. Erbling and why him, not just because he was the window washer at the former home, no. In November of 1959, Erbling was arrested for burglary in the Cleveland area and found in his possession was a ring. Not just any ring, but a ring that belonged to Marilyn Shepard. Erbling stated that he did indeed steal the ring, but not from the home of Sam Shepard, but Sam Shepard's brother, or Richard Shepard. Erbling denied killing Marilyn, but made a very startling statement during his interview with the police. He said that he was in the Shepard house several days prior to Marilyn being murdered, that he had been hired to wash the windows of the home, and while removing a storm window, he stated that he had cut his finger and had dripped blood throughout the house. With this evidence, Erbling puts himself not only in the house, but his DNA all through the home and had given hope that Sam Shepard may actually be innocent and that Erbling was the actual killer. But Shepard had remained in prison, which led the Shepard family to hire F. Lee Bailey. But what people fix on, fixate on is his statement that he made, I had no intention. But what did he have no intention of? Going to the Shepherd house, witnessing Marilyn Shepherd's murder, or killing Marilyn Shepherd. His entire statement deals with the murder of Marilyn Shepherd, so he's attempting to deny he killed her, but the way he speaks says otherwise. Since the crime scene did have the appearance of a sexual assault, DNA testing was done on the vaginal, vaginal swab taken from Marilyn's body during the autopsy that had been saved. And the results showed that there had been a mixture, which means that she had sex with someone other than her husband. So it was an affair or she had been raped, one or the two. And that DNA test had been done in like 1997 when DNA was just in its infancy. Erbling had been interviewed on Dateline and when asked about his involvement, he responded, I did not. You don't know that I killed anybody. Again, being evasive and not finishing the sentence. Is it Marilyn that he just didn't kill or did kill? He was convicted in 1989 for the death of Ethel Durkin and Ethel's sister, Irene Frey, was murdered in 1962, but that case was never solved. Now, this could be considered a true statement since the person who was interviewing him at the time wasn't there at the time Erbling had killed the person he had been convicted of. Erbling, who had a long history of psychosis and psychopathic symptoms, which began with neurological impairment as a child, his patterns are considered consistent with those of a serial killer. Now, the investigation revealed other unsolved killings of women, which included the sister, like I said before, of Mrs. Dunkirk, 
Myrtle, with striking similarities to the Shepherd murder. Erbling seemed to be obsessed with Marilyn by his focus on her ring. He was a jewel thief and a burglar. And on the night of the murder, jewelry and cash were taken from the home, which was not the focus in the trial. Just that there were some things taken, but the bag was later recovered with some some items later recovered. Now, if Erbling had, if he had been obsessed with Marilyn and he had the, some of the, if Erbling's patterns were consistent with those of a serial killer, would he have kept Marilyn's ring as a trophy? Is that why he still had that on him? Even though he was considered a jewel thief and a burglar, did he have a box somewhere stashed with trophies? That's my question, but that's something to consider later on. It's thought that Erbling was jealous of shepherds, of the shepherds and their life and the family that he himself never had. It's thought that Erbling had extreme hostility towards Sam Shepard and his accomplishment in the athletic trophies as there were two that had been smashed on the floor on the night of the murder. And Erbling had astute knowledge of the property because in 1992, he was able to accurately draw an architectural drawing of the property. He also fits the descriptions available at the time of the killer, including build, height, and weight, and he had also used wigs. Not only that, this POS was actually able to get one over on the polygraph test, and F. Lee Bailey was a huge believer in them, not realizing that psychopaths can pass them and still be guilty as fuck. Erbling, who was granted a number of interviews during this time in prison, also corresponded with Cynthia Cooper, has made such statements as, why do women fight back when they are raped? Or, I'm looking at her now and she doesn't look pregnant. Makes you want to love him all the more, doesn't it? Love him straight down to showers and forget to give him soap on a rope and hopefully he drops that damn thing at least a hundred times or more. But we can live with the fact that this POS died in prison in 1998. But what is weird is that during the second trial, Erbling testified and Sam Shepard had an opportunity to observe this man and even walked right by him, never once did Sam say, hey, that's the guy, that's the bushy-haired man that killed my wife and who fought with me on the beach. However, did Sam ever really get a good look at him? Because remember, Sam said he was hit from behind. This is early morning in July. Yes, it gets twilight, but the light to be able to see doesn't come around until five o'clock in the morning around this particular area because the Cleveland area is a hop, skip, and a jump from where I live. And even though on the beach, that's still dark enough where you're not going to be able to see face to face. I don't care how close you are. So moving on. On November 17th, 1982, the Vargos, who were the current owners of the Shepherd's Neighbor's home, Spencer Hook and Esther Hook in 1954, found fireplace tongs. Now, when you see these tongs, you're going to see what I'm talking about on these. They are long and they have teeth at the end of them. 
were these the murder weapon used on Marilyn and then thrown into the neighbor's yard? Remember back earlier, I said that Dr. Gerber said that it must have been a surgical tool that had long, it was a long tool with teeth on the end. So when I upload that picture, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's so much more with this case. And there's the phone call that Sam made to the hooks on the morning of the murder. And when interviewed, it's when interviewed, it said that Sam said, for God's sake, Ben, get over here quick. I think they've killed Marilyn. Well, who is they? Was there more than two or did it just seem like that because of being unconscious? What we have to remember is that someone lost their life, not just one, but two. Remember, Marilyn was pregnant with her second child and was eagerly awaiting that child's arrival, for all we know. And maybe Erbling was the person responsible for Marilyn's murder. Like, he liked to hang around the house. He thought Marilyn was beautiful. His M.O. fit the crime. And even though he was never officially convicted for the crime, he knew what he did and is now paying for that crime in an eternity instead of paying for it in life when he could have repented or apologized to the family. That's my belief. Everybody has their own beliefs. He didn't leave a bedside confession, but a former nurse's aide to Ethel Dirk Durkin testified at a civil trial that Erbling told her that he killed Marilyn Shepard. And this is quote, he told me that he killed her and that he hit her husband on the head with a pail and that quote, that bitch bit the hell out of me, end quote. There must, there have been other accounts from Erbling, some plausible, some not so much. The closest thing that Sam Shepard did was the signing of the book. Hopefully Marilyn is at peace and maybe someday their son will find peace with what had happened and with what might have been. Remember, he lost his mother at a young age. And then with the trauma of losing his father, his father went to jail for 10 years. And then by the time he got out, his father was an alcoholic and didn't know how to live without his beautiful wife and what could have been with his career. And then his son was raised by family members. And, you know, what could have been if Marilyn and Sam had stayed together? You know, mom and dad, he, lo he basically lost both of his parents. I hope that you enjoyed this case. It certainly has been an interesting one with all the evidence that has been available. I will make all my sources available on my Facebook page at All Things Erie from Erie PA. And the podcast is available on these platforms, podbean.com, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy, B-R-D-L-Y. And Podbean and Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify is all things Erie from Erie PA. And that's Erie with three E's. And please take the time to rate the podcast on either iTunes or podbean.com. It's super helpful. Thanks again for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, please leave, please leave me any and I will get back to you as soon as possible. And before I go, I don't know how many people out there in podcast land have had this problem. Any other podcasters, when you go on to Instagram or iTunes, not even iTunes, but Facebook or anything like that, these accounts, they're not dating sites. If you want to go on there, if you want to follow me or anything like that, that's great. I have no problem. If you want to chit chat, that's fine. I have no problem. This might seem like a little bit of a rant. That's fine. 
However, I do have a partner. I do have a family, but my Instagram account and my Facebook account, it is not a singles website. So those that want to follow me for this kind of stuff, great. But those that have been getting on the website and stuff like that, that want to chit chat because of other various reasons, not so great. And I know that is the chance that you take when you get on to uh, different plat platforms and stuff like that. However, this is for all things eerie and it's for chit-chatting about murder cases and things like that. So if you want to talk about that, that's fine. It's not a dating site. So can be a little flattering, but at the same point in time, that's not what this is about. That's not what I'm about. If I wanted to date and stuff like that, I would be on, you know, plentyoffish.com and stuff like that, which I'm not. Never have been, did not ever have to be on those. Not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just not on those websites. I'm on these platforms for this particular reason. So that being said, stay safe, stay healthy. This is Kathy signing off.